Welcome back to another edition of Broomsticks and Butterbeer, episode 123. I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. And we are continuing our journey through Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Last time we talked about chapter 29, today we're going to talk about chapter 30. 30. Grop. I, I saw that as a chapter title and I went, wait, what? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Don't you have a... Yeah, I do. Well, what? There you go. I, I almost stopped at this one. What an idiot. But That's just when you're talking about me. No. That's my face. No. 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 <laughs> uh, just reminding everybody, uh, as we record this at the end of July 2023, in a couple weeks, we are going to be in Chicago... Uh, I don't know if it's Rosemont, Chicago proper. No, <laughs> outskirts. So looking up the date again, that would be uh, August the twelfth. August the twelfth, I believe, eleven thirty. Cosplay red carpet, Harry Potter trivia at Fan Expo uh, convention out in Rosemont. I believe it's fanexpohq.com. You can get your tickets there. A lot of people, a lot of famous people going to be there besides us. Oh. Like, we're not the, the headliners, surprisingly. Normally we are. Oh. Huh. That's So odd. that kind of hurts our feelings a little bit. But okay. we'll be there. And uh, we just found out, since recording the last episode, that we're also going to be in Chicago uh, the weekend before that. We go to Chicago a lot. Yeah. I just like the pizza and the popcorn. Popcorn's good. There's other stuff to do there, too, but mainly the pizza. If I could just go up there, like, for a day and just eat pizza, like, for a couple meals, I'd probably be satisfied. And then just drive home. It's like a four and a half, five hour drive from St. Louis. Mm -hmm. It's a fun train ride, though. There is a a convention that we've never been to, uh, and we were invited uh, to this convention as well. We're not doing a trivia or anything, but we are going to be around. So if you see us, uh, I'll have some buttons and bookmarks and stickers and stuff. We have stickers now. We do have stickers. We have a lot of stickers. <laughs> You're going to see like like in Into the Spider-Verse where he's just tagging stuff everywhere. You're going to see broomsticks and butterbeer stickers on every stop sign, every telephone pole in the St. Louis area, and soon to come to the Chicago area. But it is uh, August 4th, 5th, and 6th. At McCormick Place. It's called LeakyCon, Jess. LeakyCon. And it's not a plumber's convention. No. I mean, I get it, but I feel like there's a lot of names you could have come up with that would have been a little more Harry Potter. So it's a but... it's a mostly Harry Potter-themed convention, although there is some like carryover from like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But I think from... Everything that I've seen in association with the convention and with their website, they're trying to be really careful about not getting any copyright infringement stuff. <laughs> so they don't say like PotterCon or anything like that. It's LeakyCon. LeakyCon. So I believe it's LeakyCon.com if you want to get your tickets there. Uh, if you see Jess or I and our broomsticks and butterbeer uh, gear walking around there, come up to say hello and uh, reminisce with us. Get a sticker. Yeah. Or ten. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, however many you want. You just want to cover your whole body with them. I got I got enough. I got plenty. 
So I have buttons and bookmarks and stickers, and maybe I'll even bring some t-shirts or something too. But LeakyCon, uh, August 4th, 5th, and 6th. And then uh, the Harry Potter trivia we're going to be hosting at Fan Expo uh, Con Chicago, August uh, 11th. It's actually 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, the convention. It's huge. like 70,000 people last year, I think. But our uh, portion is going to be August 12th at 11.30 a.m. That's the most important part. Saturday is going to be... Saturday at these conventions are pretty crazy. Uh, it's pretty much wall-to-wall people. So if you're not a fan of people, you might not want to go on Saturday. But if you don't go on Saturday, you're going to miss us. Yeah, so you're going to miss all the, good, all the good prizes and uh, just all the good uh, brotherhood and sisterhood vibes that we're giving off. Come, uh, come engage with us. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's things to do other than us, too. You know, there's other panels uh, and yeah. things to see, maybe? Yeah, there'll probably be some other stuff there. This giant convention? Yeah, this enormous convention hall. Uh, McCormick is big, but the uh, Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont is pretty enormous as well, so... I've been to, to, to many conventions at both. So come see us at McCormick, uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Come see us the weekend after uh, out at Rosemont. Just hop on the blue line. I think you just I think the blue line runs all the way out to Rosemont. So if you're a city dweller in Chicago, or if you're in the suburbs, I believe, what, the Pace Bus? Is the Pace Bus is running <laughs> the suburbs? I think so. We'll have a Chicago... Uh, we, we had a Chicago correspondent in Catherine... But no, she's no. since relocated, so we're looking for a new Chicago correspondent. Uh, if anybody's interested, hit me up, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. We can text Jake, but he won't get back to us for like seven days. Yeah, my brother currently lives in Chicago, but that's, you know, that's just, you're just spinning the, the wheel of chance there on if he's ever going to see it or get back to you. Good guy, though. Just not very good with the, the phone. I don't know. Is he a millennial? Is he a Gen Gen Zer? Yeah, he might be Z. Well, I'm not gonna put down any of our generations here because I don't want to lose like a third of our listenership, like you did with Ireland a few weeks ago. Sorry. Uh, let's talk about chapter 29. What happened last time before we get into chapter 30? We're we're getting close to the end of this book. Yeah, I just checked. Ish. Uh, eight more chapters. Oh. You put up four fingers just but now. But we do two chapters a month, so it's four months. <laughs> you put. I was like, oh, four more chapters. We're almost there. No, eight, eight. more. Four months. Uh, chapter 29 was called Career Advice. Harry is having issues processing what he saw in the Pensieve. Uh, Umbridge is monitoring all incoming and outgoing mail and messages. All of the fifth-year students are going to have a meeting with their head of house and talk about their future. Uh, Harry really wants to talk to Sirius, so he's going to be using the only unmonitored fireplace at Hogwarts in Umbridge's office. And Fred and George will be making a big distraction to give Harry the chance to do this. Harry heads to his career advice meeting with Professor McGonagall, which ends up with Umbridge and McGonagall arguing about Harry's future. The Weasley boys turn a large section of the fifth floor into a swamp, while Harry connects with Sirius via the flu network. Sirius gets upset when he learns that Harry's occlumency lessons with Snape have been discontinued. And once Fred and George are found to be responsible for the swamp, instead of staying to be punished, the twins Akio their brooms and fly away from Hogwarts. Which is epic. It is. And, and a d- different in the book than, than in the movie. We talked about that. And there's also going to be a scene in this chapter with the aforementioned Grop. Uh, that I believe was a little different in the book as well, because one of the people that is there in the movie is not present in the scene that we're going to be talking about in the book today. One of those uh, members is flying around on a broom when uh, the grop stuff is going on. We'll get let's get into that. Uh, chapter thirty, titled "Grop." Fred and George are gone, Jessica, but their legacy and the swamp that they created lives on. Yeah, so none of the teachers are keen to remove the swamp or just help 
umbrage in any possible right. way. So, yeah, it's still there. She doesn't possess the magical talent, capability, knowledge, whatever you want to say, to remove it. Which is kind of interesting to me because, I don't know, if you think like of a woman of, or like a witch of a similar experience, like a Molly Weasley, I think could probably get rid of that swamp. But well, that's because she's been cleaning up, up after Fred yeah, she's got for a, she's, a long she's time. She's got experience with the, <laughs> the twin shenanigans. But I would just think with somebody who who seemingly has been in the wizarding world for this long, Umbridge doesn't seem to be very... Um, competent? Competent. No. I'm going to assume she doesn't have children. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I'm kind of to the same level if you pulled someone into a school that doesn't have experience working with children. They're not going to be able to cut it right away. Yeah. Like, there's a learning curve there. We say um, that all the time working in education, the the higher ups, the superintendents and whatnot are always telling you what you should be doing in your little neck of the woods, in your little nook of the district, in your classroom. When a lot of these administrators either haven't worked with kids in many, many years some of them never worked with kids at all. You know, they they got their doctorates specifically to go into administration. Uh, they might have become a principal. But even as a principal, you often don't interact with the kids unless it's something really good or something really, usually something really bad. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, they don't interact with all of the kids. They only interact with the select few that need that, inter you know. And classroom management is, is a totally different animal to them. And a lot of them are only doing it because they have the aspirations to go on to higher administration. So it's, it's really, us teachers get very frustrated when we have people who obviously don't have the experience or the experiences that we've had telling us how to do our jobs. And that's why I think somebody, I read it, it's not an original, it's not a Dan Rhino original idea, but I saw it on Facebook once in a teacher group I was in that they said that because of the, uh, the substitute shortage that we have in education right now, one way to fix that, and it would have other positive consequences as well, would be to have these higher level administrators have to substitute a certain number of days a year. Not a lot. Say 10. Mm -hmm. You know, a school year, a, I think a school year is like Just 100. Just one day is very 170 days or something like that. Just 10. Or one. Yeah. You know? And and don't do it in the, like when, when they come to visit the school, the principal always says, well, let's go look at this teacher's classroom. Let's go look at this teacher's classroom. Mm -hmm. They always want to put... What's the first uh, rule of roadside beat sales, Jess? Put the most attractive beats up front. That's right. And it's the same thing. It's the most attractive teachers? Is that what you're saying, Daniel? <sighs> I don't really look at outside beauty, Jess. Uh -huh. I'm more about inner beauty. Uh-huh. So I don't really understand your question. Huh. However, I was talking about more like teacher proficiency. So it doesn't really matter the physical attractiveness of the teacher, but more the you put the ones who have the better behaved kids because the teacher has better classroom management. They don't ever visit the crazy classrooms. No. They never do. And I was really annoyed because that happened one time while I was subbing. And they still came in my room. The room I was subbing. I was like, no! I'm not even a teacher! Get out of here! <laughs> I barely work here! <laughs> it, it was a classroom that uh, typically... Is kept on a very short leash. Yeah. Friend of ours. Right. She keeps her class on a very short leash. And so... And there's nothing wrong with that, they, everybody no. who's complaining about that. Kids want structure. Yes. They crave it. They crave routine. They don't thrive in chaos. No. Even though it looks like they're having fun, it's <laughs> not the best for them. Remember that day I sent you a video of the... I was subbing in that room that had the alternative seating. Yes. And For the record, no kids were present in the video. No, no. The room was empty. 
but for the, for it the was record, just before you raise heck chaos. I like I couldn't get across the room. There was just chaos everywhere. And it it seems like with Umbridge at the head of Hogwarts. When you don't have strong, just like in any school, if you don't have strong leadership, that trickles down. And we're we're seeing that Umbridge can't figure out how to get rid of the swamp, so they just roped off the area. You said um, they don't have strong leadership, and it's trickling down. I, I, I'm like, Dumbledore is very essential, but also I feel like, you know, some we had a principal that left, mm-hmm. and we were kind of left to our own devices. You know what? We functioned pretty well. Yeah. So sometimes it's just not necessary. Yeah. So and, and sometimes if you don't have a great leader, sometimes them not being there is better. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can you just not show up to work? That'd be great. Because or that would that would be preferable. Like you're doing more harm by being here. And leave us alone. Honestly. Yeah. But Dumbledore brought stability mm-hmm. to that school. But he's been pretty. Not visible, but not present a lot lately Mm -hmm. this year for not just Harry, but, uh, you know, in general. There's a lot going on in the wizarding world right now, Jess. There's another wizarding war war coming. This whole chaos that was set off by the Weasleys has kind of helped, too, because it's kept kept Umbridge busy and out from everybody else's feet. She's not meddling in classrooms as much because she's busy. Yeah. It's it it has it, it, and that's why I think a lot of the teachers who were Dumbledore loyalists aren't in any rush to to help Umbridge. And and it's not just the fact that yeah, it's keeping her busy. It's also the fact that you were never in any rush to help us or be supportive of us. Why would we do that? She's been the exact opposite. She's criticized you. every single thing that they've done. So like we said, Umbridge can't figure out how to get rid of the swamp. And there was a, a line that I had to look up. It said that because of the swamp, it said that Filch had to punt students across the swamp. <laughs> now, as an American, and in association with American football, <laughs> this makes me think, as an American, that Filch is... Kicking them. Picking them up and drop kicking them across to the other side. Which I'm sure he would thoroughly enjoy. Oh, yeah. He'd be all over that. If he knew what the alternative meeting was for us. However, I had to look it up. And a punt is like a flat bottom ferry boat. Ah. So Filch is having to basically row these kids across the swamp whenever they need to get through it. Which, to you, you just know Filch is loving the extra work and he loves helping kids. and that extra quality time with the kids yes they could probably really bonding while they're sitting around on that boat uh fred and george also kind of another byproduct of the extra trouble they've been getting into they seem to have inspired the next generation of troublemakers hadn't they what's yeah. going on with the student body lately yeah, it said everybody was kind of competing to see who was going to fill in Fred and George's shoes. Mm-hmm. There's always got to be a troublemaker at school. Um, and everybody's just kind of stepping up. But mostly Peeves. Well, Peeves has always had a strong mischief game. Mm-hmm. But Peeves has even taken it to another level, though. Remember, he gave the little salute to the Weasleys on the way out. Seems like they've always had a good relationship with each other just because of the nature of their personalities. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're, they're mischief makers. Peas the appreciation and the of each yes. other's work. Yeah. Game recognized game is yes. what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Peeves is picking up his game as well. And I think there was even a scene where Peeves was trying to unscrew a chandelier. A chandelier. And McGonagall said, unscrews the other way (laughs) (laughs) as she was walking by yeah so mcgonagall like i said even mcgonagall who's like the most reliable stable of the even more even less you know erratic than dumbledore yeah because dumbledore is very very kooky very you know got very quirky mcgonagall is is pretty she's got that loving 
side to her, but she's mostly very stern. She's kind of like the perfect teacher who's, I saw a shirt the other day that said, I'm the nicest mean teacher you'll ever meet. <laughs> and I feel like that like kind of describes me because I can be the, the coolest, nicest teacher in the whole school, but I just, I don't take garbage from anybody. I don't, a lot of other teachers just accept it. And that's why they go home in tears a lot. I don't, you know, and McGonagall's the same way. She's no nonsense. She will give you the pat on the back when you need it. She'll give you the ear to talk to when you need it. But she's not going to take any foolishness. So to have her encouraging Peeves' behavior is very, very out of uh, con uh, context for her. But it's... For us, it's very enjoyable because we're kind of getting to see, you know, Umbridge get a little bit back at her for what she's been given to everybody, all the trouble she's been given to everybody. So uh, Filch is not kicking kids across uh, the swamp. Had to confirm that. Uh, Peeves, like you said, also functioning at a higher level of mischief than ever. Umbridge doesn't have a lot of support from the faculty. And another secret that Harry's been keeping. We know that we talked about it a couple chapters ago that Harry kept the secret about the real reason behind his Aquamancy lessons ending. He kept that from his friends. The, another secret that he's been keeping is the fact that Harry's the one who bankrolled Fred and George's shop venture. And Ron is actually happy when he hears this because he was worried that his mom was going to blame him, Ron, her friend George dropping out of school. But Hermione is so disappointed when she hears this. Why is Hermione so disappointed when she hears that Harry is the essentially the uh, the money man behind Fred and George's new joke shop? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, it could be that she just thought Harry was being irresponsible with his money. I mean, she might not fully comprehend that he's he's good. Filthy rich. He's good. He doesn't need it. Um, so, I don't know if yeah, she just thinks he's being irresponsible, or if... I mean, maybe she just thought that the Weasleys had... Uh, the twins had done so well on their little ventures, their little side hustles, that they earned the money themselves. Mm -hmm. She's never approved of what the Weasleys have been doing, what they've been selling, how they've been doing it at school, mm -hmm. uh, how they were gambling at the Quidditch Cup. Hermione's never approved of, of this venture at all, but maybe when she saw that, oh, they've secured a location in Diagon Alley, that can't be cheap, and they've got inventory now, so maybe they are more entrepreneurially successful than I thought they were. And then Harry went, nope, I just gave it to him. And that, maybe that's what it, maybe you, you saying that kind of talked me into the answer here, why she's so disappointed. She's always had these reservations about the Weasleys' business ventures and the business prospects, I should say. And maybe she's seeing this now as, oh, they needed a bunch of money from Harry in order to, you know, make this even happen at all. Or it might not be sustainable. If they're just blowing right. through Harry's money and not making any of their own, then now they've left school, which I'm sure she's also very disappointed about, without finishing. Yeah. They left school without finishing, and they're just going to go spend Harry's money, lose it all on this wacky business venture, and now they're going to be in a, in a hole where they've got this... I don't know if they did have a lease or bought or whatever, but they got this property they got to pay for and they're not making any money and Harry's just, and Harry's money ran out. And traditionally, new businesses don't make money right away. No. Normally, it takes two to three years before you're even breaking even. And Hermione, maybe, you know, being growing up in the muggle world might even have more, uh, be more sensitive to, to that type of information. But it probably is just confirmation for Hermione that I've always thought that it was silly, the ideas that they had. Now they've dropped out of school, so they're not even going to have the, edu the, you know, the education, a diploma or whatever. And they're 
going off needing their buddy to give them money to get started, they're probably going to be irresponsible with that like they're irresponsible with everything else. So maybe that's where it comes from. But we do have the final match of the Quidditch season coming up. Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. And due to Slytherin losing to Hufflepuff... Got any Hufflepuff drops for us over there? Dead or nothing! Dead or nothing! Dead or nothing! That's a good one. Due to Slytherin losing to Hufflepuff in their last match, Gryffindor can actually take home the Quidditch Cup with a win. But what confused me was Ron says we've won one, lost one, and we know that this is the final match. So they only play three games in their season? Yep. That's, There's a lot going that on. That seems like a bit of a, a waste to... Yeah, they're always like practicing and training and... To play three games. To play three games. Or three matches, I should say. <laughs> on the pitch. There was... See, I always thought they played like everybody twice. So that would like make more games, sense. But... Or, or play everybody five times. <sighs> to get... So how many games is that total? To get a fancy broom. To get uniforms. <laughs> to get... Uh, you know, pads and everything to spend all this time training for three games in your season? It's, I don't know, it seems like a bit of a waste to me. Yeah. It's like, we're going to sign up for this basketball league at the YMCA. Oh, cool. How how often do we play? Oh, it's only three weeks. We play three games. That's it. No, it's three games over eight months. <laughs> So you have to train constantly. We're going to play three basketball games over the course of the next eight months. Like, guys have gained 50 pounds during over the, the course of the season. You have to train every day to stay in shape for your match that's coming up. It just seems like a big waste to me, honestly. They, they need to expand the schedule, mm -hmm. I think. There's, Maybe play other schools once in a while. Yeah, just, yeah. Get a little... Um, tournament going yeah, find, find a traveling team that needs some extra games get them in there i don't know well ron lets in a quick goal of course and just as that happens hagrid appears in the stands asking for harry and hermione's help with something so kind of knowing based on how the other gryffindor games have gone lately they kind of Harry and Hermione kind of know how this is going to go. Mm -hmm. How this game's going to work out. So Harry and Hermione head away from the match with Hagrid and head into the Forbidden Forest. And before we talk about what they see in there, they're gonna, we're going to talk a lot about the centaurs and the, the relationship between Hagrid and the centaurs and centaur-wizard relations in, in general. What was the relationship between the centaurs in the forest before Ferenz took a teaching position at Hogwarts? And how has it changed since then? With Hagrid? Or... Let's, let's use Hagrid as an example. Because I think Hagrid is like a... That relationship with Hagrid is probably a kind of a microcosm of how the centaurs feel toward the rest of the wizarding world. Mm, I disagree. I think they're more tolerant of Hagrid. One, because he doesn't use magic like the wizards do, typically. We know there's been a rare occasion where he busts out his broken wand. But typically he doesn't do magic like the wizards do. He is like a friend of the forest and the creatures. So I think they tolerate him better than most. Also, he's part giant, so he's kind of... You know, that almost gets him more credit with them than being full human. Mm -hmm. So I think they have a pretty good relationship with Hagrid. Well, they did. They did. Until Hagrid didn't mind his own business, apparently. So before the whole Ferenz fiasco, they got along with Hagrid okay. Mm -hmm. But how, did the, how was the centaurs feeling toward the rest of the wizarding world? Because to me, it kind of seems like they 
preferred to be isolated because they almost had like a superiority complex. Yeah, they're a little superiority. You have a little bit of a superiority complex. Then they also have like this, you're going to look at us as inferiors, defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And true, humans do. We Harry, don't like things that are different. Somebody asked if Harry or if Hagrid had bred mm-hmm. friends. Like, they just don't know enough, of, you know, to not be. I mean, they probably a lot of humans probably look at them as just animals. Yeah, they're animals, you know? mostly, right? We don't know. Um, yeah, so I don't think they have very good relationship with with, with most wizards. I'm mm-hmm. sure Dumbledore has gone out of his way to, you know, be accommodating and. But that relationship has probably gotten even worse since the friend situation. Mm-hmm. And Dumb or the rest of the centaurs kind of see Dumbledore as probably part of the reason why Ferenz is no longer there and why Ferenz abandoned the rest of the centaurs. Mm-hmm. And there's also it's also you know muddied the waters with their relationship with Hagrid as well. Yeah, and it's I'm sure like everything else, it's not 100 percent across the board, but. There's probably a chunk of the centaurs that are really hardcore anti-human mm-hmm. and, you know, get the rest fired up. We see that in a lot of political things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The the, the radical uh, side, left or right, of the political mm-hmm. aisle. They make a lot of noise. They're the they ones seem that make... Like the, they're the smallest percentage, but they make the, the most agrees, noise. It's kind of like the bad kids making, at school. <laughs> they're making more noise. Most of the kids at school aren't bad. But the ones that do make the most noise. And squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with politics. So, at this point, the relationship is not good, even with Hagrid. Because we found out that when Ferenz was trying to leave the pack or the tribe or whatever they go by. Herd. Herd. Oh, I like that. (laughs) When Ferenz was trying to leave the herd, he was almost beaten to death by the rest of the the herd. And we remember the big hoof print. Or at least the radicals in the group. Right. We remember the big hoof print on Ferenz's chest a couple Mm. chapters ago. And it turns out that Hagrid was kind of the one who got them to stop before Ferenz was killed. Intervened to let him get away. And And apparently that was stepping over a line. You know, Hagrid meddling in centaur business. Yeah, they said, you don't know our ways, our laws. You intervened. This is how we, you might think it's unfair and brutal or whatever, Mm -hmm. but this is how, this is our way of life. And we've always tolerated you coming into this forest. Mm-hmm. But those times are are done. So Hagrid really shouldn't be ambling around in the forest, especially with two kids. Well, according to them, Hagrid says, nah, the forest belongs to all of us, mm-hmm. so you can just stop right there. Mm-hmm. But we get to the reason why Hagrid is doing this, along with the na- namesake of our chapter, Grop. And we finally get the explanation for those bruises and cuts and injuries that Hagrid has been dealing with since he returned from his journey with Madame Maxime. It turns out Hagrid has brought someone back with him. Grop, his half-brother. Now, what was Hagrid's reasoning behind bringing Grop back? And I guess guess what's Hagrid's endgame here? We know Hagrid doesn't think things through. He lives in a little hut with a straw roof, and he tried to keep a pet dragon. I yeah. mean, he just doesn't think it through. Um, but his, besides the half-brother, his mom apparently left him and his dad, went off with the giants, found another giant, had a little brother. But he's significantly smaller than the other giants, and they were being mean to him and picking on him. Only 16 feet tall. Only 16 feet. A measly 16 feet. And so they were picking on him. Also, I just kind of wonder if there's... There seems to be a 
a wide gap in like intelligence mm-hmm. here because Hagrid communicated with the leader of the giants. Right. And we're really struggling to communicate here. Or maybe it's just because he's younger. He does seem very like um yeah, some, he some distracted child, yeah, childish behavior. Yeah, yeah, very childish behavior. So maybe they take a long time to mature and this is more like an adult um, like a younger. baby like a baby Yoda situation. Yeah. There you go. There's like cuz I think like in uh, I'm probably going to get Kelly with an angry email. But I want to say like in the Mandalorian Grogu is like 70 years old or something like that. But he's still a baby. Oh, I think he's 50. Yeah, I mean, somewhere in that yeah. range. But for us, <laughs> you know, you fully matured at that point. Yeah. Grogu's still literally a child. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you know, it could be something to do with, you know, their, their the biology. The in which they mature. Absolutely. But you talked about the bullying, but what's a Hagrid, Hagrid's endgame here? Like, does he think that Grop is going to live peacefully in the forest for the rest of his life? Grop's going to be integrated into wizarding society and get a job as a janitor at Hogwarts. I got in my notes, did Hagrid not think this through? I think I already <laughs> got my answer Hagrid there. Hagrid did not think this through. I think, I mean, he just, Hagrid doesn't have family and he wants family. So I think he just has kind of caught up in the, caught up and romanticized this, that he's going to have a baby brother. And, Thinking more with his heart than his head. Yes. And he probably wouldn't even fit in Hagrid's hut. Right. Even though the hut is supersized for Hagrid, wouldn't even fit. So they wouldn't even be able to live together kind of thing. Um, but I think that's what he wants. He wants a buddy. He wants a brother. He wants somebody to hang out with all the time and and to have family again. Well, this is where Harry and Hermione come in. Hagrid knows that there's a good chance of him losing his job because of Umbridge in the near future. And Hagrid wants Harry, Ron, and Hermione to make weekly visits to Grop just to kind of talk and interact with him in case Hagrid is no longer around, right? Yeah. In case I'm, in case something happens to me, take care of my baby brother. Well, we get a brief interaction with Grop after Hagrid wakes him up, and we find out that socializing with Grop is going to be a, very much an uphill battle. But things get even more stressful as Hagrid, Harry, and Hermione are heading back out of the forest and they run into the centaurs. Uh, describe what the interaction's like here. Uh, well, they both have crossbows and have them drawn, aimed at each other, so very tense. And that's where they kind of have their argument about you're not welcome here anymore after what you did. And Hagrid's like, I just saved Ferenza's life, so I don't, he clearly doesn't think he did anything wrong at all. He's a hero. Um, and there's another centaur that wants to to take it out on him. Like we said, we told him not to come back. We warned you. And now he came back, so let's do it. Let's take him out or whatever they were going to do to him. Um, but they said, nope, he has young with him. But it's not his. <laughs> They're just kids from the school. <laughs> He's like, nope. We're not going to do it while the young are here. So what Hagrid needs to do is just tape children to him, duct tape several children to him, anywhere in the forest he wants, and then he's pretty much bulletproof. Yeah, or crossbow proof. Uh, Yeah, just make sure you have a child covering all your major organs. (laughs) That's what he needs. That's what he needs to do in order to stay safe. So if Hagrid had been alone, this this meeting would have gone very differently. But apparently the, the centaurs have, have a policy of not harming younglings. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Harry and Hermione were there actually probably saved Hagrid here. Because Hagrid's a big, tough guy. But He's also not in great shape right now. Yeah. His nose is bleeding. Both of his eyes are blackened. That I think there was even mention of something. His breathing wasn't great, yeah. so he might have a bruised or cracked rib or something. He's got, and then he 
And he probably got hit in the face again. Yeah. I don't think it was clear that he did, but he was holding his nose again. So I think he got hit in the face again. And also severely outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Well, we eventually get back to the Quidditch match, just to hear the ending of it. And we hear that distinct rhythm, that distinct beat of the Slytherins' anti-Ron, Weasley is our, our king, king song. Weasley is our king. And we think that we know what has happened in the match and why this song is being, being sung. But the words have changed a little bit, haven't they? What? Yes, they have. What happened? Weasley is the king. Weasley is our king. So the Slytherins are singing that? No. The Gryffindors are singing it. So the Gryffindors have adopted the negative you song, turned it, it into a positive and they have reason to celebrate, don't they? Mm-hmm. Apparently they won. And apparently, somehow, some way, Ron had the game of his life. <laughs> yeah, he just turned it on. Everything just clicked. So Gryffindor wins the match. He gets to be the, the Quidditch Weasley now mm-hmm. that the brothers are gone. There's even a mention that that might help because, you know, it takes away some of the pressure. Mm-hmm. You, do, you know, when your big brothers are standing there... You, you don't know this because you are the big brother, but mm-hmm. when your big brothers are standing there, why, why can't you get it right? It just makes you more flustered. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole logic there that maybe maybe he would do better without Fred and George there. So Gryffindor wins the match, takes home the Quidditch Cup, and now I have a very hard time believing that Ron became a superstar keeper just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But... Either way, we get a scene that's kind of reminiscent of what Ron saw in the Mirror of Erised several books back. Which was him being carried off by his teammates carrying the Quidditch Cup, right? Yeah. So uh, maybe he somehow, someway, you know, birthed that idea into reality. Uh, But that's the end of Chapter 30. Uh, One thing I noticed uh when i was looking up the grop scene on youtube before we started recording because i wanted to make sure i got the pronunci- pronunciation right i noticed that harry ron and hermione go into the forest and there's actually it kind of a longer interaction with them and grop where even grop like picks up hermione and that doesn't happen in this book so what were some of the big takeaways that you notice as far as differences there. Well, you don't know that there's not another scene mm-hmm. in the forest. That's true. So, you know, it's been a while since I've read it. But, and like you said, the movies, they leave such a powerful image in your head mm-hmm. that sometimes even I forget. Like, oh, was that in the book or was that in the movie? So, but we might get another scene and then they just combined those yep. two scenes for the movie. They and do that a lot. And we talked about the the scene with the Weasleys leaving the school. Mm-hmm. Was very different. Yes, very it was truncated. It a totally different time of the story. It, it combined several of their uh, workings of mischief down into one spectacular scene with the, the fireworks actually taking place during the owl exams. Yes. And... No swamp, no that we know of, that we know of yeah. uh, present. So, and that's going to happen. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be a little less truncated with the the series that's going to be uh, coming out on HBO Max, just called Max now. Although, we, who knows when we'll ever get that now with this Hollywood writers and actors strike. Yeah. You know, who knows? I mean, it might be 10 years down the road. But I'm hoping that, you know, some of these scenes and some of these characters kind of get fleshed out a little bit more uh, when we have more experience or more uh, time in order to to experience uh, things that are happening in the book. But on that note, we got a pretty interesting email. Oh, really? Kind of in in that same vein. Uh, This email sent to us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com, comes from Nicole in California. Hey, Nicole. And Nicole said, I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and have been listening since then. Just caught up. First of all, this is <laughs> not, not Nicole speaking. This is me speaking. 
that's a lot of podcasts to get through. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. In a few weeks. You know, 122 yeah. shows in a few weeks. So thank you so much for continuing on this journey with us. She feels us, like Nicole. she knows us intimately now. Yeah, because absolutely. that's a lot of time to spend I, together. And that's, and that's years of time that she you know got down into it's kind of like when they take the book and turn it into a two-hour movie <laughs> that's years of us that's like pre-covid that was us recovering from covid you know there was there, there there's been tears shed on this show you know there's been so many things that in our lives last few years that uh, nicole was able to experience with us so we thank you so much for uh, for joining us and sticking around and, and especially for emailing us. And we're besties now. So. We are. We are. We're besties. Besties. Uh, we'll get back to our email here. At one point, the random future date was exactly the day it currently was when I was listening. <laughs> so when I say, if you're listening to this in 2025 and on blah, 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 blah day, uh, everything went great at the uh, trivia that happened several years ago. So that's kind of cool that it lined up, kind of a Back to the Future situation there. Yeah. Uh, totally caught me off guard when there were no more episodes. Oh, sorry. But here's a new one right here for you. Yep. This one's dedicated to Nicole. Uh, Nicole said, I was watching Cinema Therapy on YouTube. They spent two videos deciding if Snape was a hero or a villain. They gave probably a throwaway side comment, but it has allowed me to actually see the movies favorably. So it kind of sounds like maybe Nicole was kind of in the Kelly boat where she was very pro books and kind of anti movies. Nicole continues, if you look at Harry Potter as a multiverse and the book universe and the movie universe are not the same. I was totally someone who yelled at the screen every two minutes because they messed up the books. I really wish I could be there for some of your trivia events, but I'm in California, so that would be too large a trip. So, first of all, I guess we just got to go to California sometime soon. They got big conventions there. They do. They do. Go see Jennifer and... Go see Jennifer. Go meet Nicole and... Hang out with Nicole, our new bestie. Yeah. Actually, Nicole, if you want to get in contact with Jennifer, you guys are probably yeah, you besties, guys just ha- too. You guys start hanging out now. Start laying yeah. the groundwork for a friendship for the ages. But the multiverse uh, theory, mm-hmm. it's something that's been very prevalent in uh, comic book movies, especially the last few years, in both the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Kind of pulling these these characters who have been played by different people where not saying that these all happened on the same earth saying that they are there are several earths out there where things are just a little different mm-hmm. you know variations or variants right and that's been a a big big thing like i said with especially with comic book movies in the last decade is the emergence of this multiverse even though it was a it was a concept that's been around since, I think, the 1960s or 70s in the comic books. But if you say that, for example, the books is one universe and the movies has a lot of similarities, but not everything's going to be exactly the same. Do you think that helps somebody tolerate that's not that doesn't really like the movies, help them maybe tolerate the movies a little bit more? And does that open the door for them to, um, with this new series coming out, you know, we might see some more diversity. We might see characters that were male be female. We might see characters that were white be African American. You know, we, we might see characters introduced that we've never seen before in the books or the movies. Mm -hmm. So the, the multiverse thing first, what's your thoughts on that? I think it'll help some people. I think there are some that are just going to be hardcore. The book is right. The book is law. The book is everything. But. And there's some people like me for the longest time who enjoyed the movies, but never read the books. Mm -hmm. And the book people get very upset about that. But if you see it has whatever version of the, this multiverse you enjoy, then let people enjoy what they want to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, some people, without even thinking about the multiverse theory, they're going to love it just because it's more Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. 
it's just as long as it's done well, I don't care. More Harry Potter. Um, just don't make any more like, of those Fantastic Beast movies. <laughs> I like the multiverse idea that you know. I like it too. You can kind of excuse some things, yeah, because it's just a variation of the story. Right. It's it kind of you know when when there's when a new Batman actor comes out. And everybody's like, oh, he's not as good as so-and-so. You can still love so-and-so as your favorite Batman. He, that's not saying that he never existed. This mul- The multiverse idea is saying that he's everything he Batman. did, all those experiences you had enjoying watching him do his thing, fighting crime, those are still canon. Those still happen. They just might not happen on this earth. Mm-hmm. And then we got like the multiversal travel and you're starting to see like Michael Keaton's Batman interact with, you know, the current iteration of, of the, the DC movie universe. And then that's when you get all the nostalgia feels. Mm-hmm. And I know. bet that is helping some people come to terms with like, oh, well, there's my Batman. That's the Batman I right. like. But he's here in this world. So that's all OK now. You yeah. know. Yeah, he's he he's not dead. He's not been uh, replaced. You're you know, not saying yeah. that didn't happen. He's not been written he's just, out he's of right history. there. I see yeah. him. Um, I don't know. It's just hard with books. One, you can't take a book and make a perfect movie out of it. You just can't. There's so much in a book. Unless it's a little tiny book, maybe I don't know. But like these books in particular, there's so much in it that it's really hard. Also, you got to factor in the, the person's imagination and their interpretation of the book. So even if you took a shorter book and made an almost perfect word-for-word from the book movie out of it, there's still going to be that interpretation, oh, well, that's not how I read him. He didn't, wouldn't say it like that. That just makes it impossible to make a perfect movie. What is? I think I've asked you this before, but what are some that come to mind that are the most accurate, like book to movie adaptations? Um, one that I really enjoyed. So I watched Game of Thrones the first season, and I just knew that we were missing stuff. I was like, no, there's way more to this than this. Especially because they only do like eight episodes a season. And I read the book, the first book. And I thought it was really good. Like, they did have to condense scenes and stuff, but it felt like all of the important lines were there, like, word for word. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, lines that characters delivered that were delivered perfectly on the screen. So I thought that first book, and obviously the first Throne of Glass book is much smaller than the others. Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. uh, You said Throne Throne of of Glass. glass. (laughs) Wrong story. You got moss on the brain. Yeah. Well, because we were talking about, there's supposed to be a, a TV show coming for her, too. And I don't know that that's going to pan out now because of the whole strike oh, yeah. as well. So, yeah, I, I was think thinking that. about that just a few minutes ago. Um, so I thought they did a really good job. Oddly, I think the first Divergent movie was done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gave a minor character more lines and more scene time because it was a popular actress. Yeah, I feel like that was the only reason. Um, and there were just a couple of things that were different from the books. But when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, that makes more sense. Like, you know, they do have to do I feel that like they a fixed lot. a couple of things. If you want to get this name actor or actress, they're not going to do it unless you beef up the role. Yeah, they're not going to do it for 10 minutes here and two minutes there. Right. And you see that with with TV shows, too. You'll see a character that was only supposed to appear like in a couple episodes, but they're so popular that they become like a recurring character. And so that was not planned originally, but they got to change things on the fly in order to keep everybody happy yep. or as many people happy as they can. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind for me is, I think I've said it before, is the Hunger Games. The first Hunger Games I thought was very much like the picture I had in my head when reading the story. And some people might disagree with that. I thought they kind of got a little bit away from it with third and fourth movie, which is part of the problem there, trying to take one book and turn it into two movies as a money grab. But that one, to me, when I first saw it, I was very much, very much how I pictured Katniss, 
very much how I pictured PETA, um, very much how I pictured, uh, you know, the arena, very much how I pictured Dist District 12. It was very much how I pictured it in my head. Uh, one that a lot of people complain about, if we want to go way back, is I've heard a lot of people complain about The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, when the movie came out, was revolutionary. Like, the things that they did with the technology that they had, nobody had ever seen things like that before, where it goes from the black and white into the, the Technicolor in Oz. But so many people complained, even from the very beginning, because the slippers were the wrong color. You know, the slippers in the movie are not the same color that they are in the book. And and that and that just started this snowball of people being very anti the movie, even though a lot of people look back at that and say, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But a lot of those people might not have experienced the books and had that pre preconceived uh, notion or preconceived a bias going into that. So it's very, but you gotta, you gotta think about the Wizard of Oz multiverse though. <laughs> Cause then they, they, Wizard of Oz kind of does have a multiverse. Yeah. Cause they've got like the land, like Land of Oz, Return of Oz. They've got like the Oz comics. They've got, uh, the Wiz where he's on down he's on down down the road wizard of oz kind of does have a multiverse so maybe that'll kind of save the people from uh maybe nicole's idea will kind of save people from being angry about that as well so oddly you know for book club we read finding dorothy yes which is a fictional story of the wife of the man who wrote the wizard of oz being on set while they're making the movie and her kind of being there stressing about all the things that they're yeah, changing. It's kind of historical fiction. Yes. Yeah. But definitely fiction. Like she was not there. <laughs> but in the and it's somebody else who wrote the book. It's not like the wife wrote the book. It's um a, a separate author wrote the book about this pretend idea that the wife was on set trying to save her husband's mm -hmm. story and legacy. And so, yeah, a lot of those things were mentioned. Like, she's like, well, why are you doing this? That's not the way Frank wrote it. Mm -hmm. And she would get all upset. And she hated, uh, you know, the choice of actress and this and that and all the things. And and then she loved the movie when it was finally done. Mm -hmm. And so it just reminded me of that when you said, brought that one up. Another one that I... I liked the book and the movie, but they are to two totally different monsters. And that's World War Z. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books I've ever read. Written by Max Brooks, who's Mel Brooks' son. He's really nice. He is really nice. I we, like him. We've met him several times. I don't times. like zombies, though, so I don't read his books. But Sorry, Max. If, if, you, if you read that book and then you see the movie that was made, it's not even... Not even close. Not, not even, even close. Not even the thing. Like it, they just wanted the title. It's not even close. And they they wanted the title, and they and there's zombies in it. That's mm -hmm. the only things that are the same. However, I enjoyed both of them, and I think it was a quote that Max Brooks said. He said, "I thought that when they were making this movie, that they were ruining my book." He said, "But then I saw the movie, and I said." It's not even my book. It's not that they took my book and ruined it. They didn't even make my book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he could enjoy it for what it was because it wasn't... Because it wasn't his book. Right. It wasn't them tearing down his, his work that took him years to write. So it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough correlation to make to take a book that is however many hundreds of pages and try to get it down into a two and two and a half hour movie. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. You can't do everything that you, that you want to do. Some things have to be sacrificed. Some roles have to be created. Some roles have to be taken away. Some roles have to be increased or decreased. But I do like what Nicole said of the, the multiverse idea. Maybe don't look at the books as an adaptation of the story. Look at them as a alternate retelling of the story. 
uh, go back to the Hunger Games for one second. You said you enjoyed the movie version of the first book. Uh, my dad? Well, he it's not that he didn't, but he thought that there wasn't enough in, like, he's like, they cut out so much. There's no way a person who hadn't read the books would understand. He was, like, in a little panic about it. Mm-hmm. when. And my mom and I were like, no. My, my mom hadn't read the books. She's like, no, I understood. That's how it worked. Like, he didn't think they explained the rations properly and how if you put your name in more, then you got more stuff. He just didn't think it was very clearly explained and that it went by so fast that you wouldn't get it. Like, if you hadn't read the books. So you wouldn't understand the weight of it. So, it's just, like I say, everybody's different. Like, he was more focused on, he wanted, like, the details spelled out, but they don't have time to do that in a movie. So it's just kind of referred to, and you just kind of have to put the pieces together. But people who watch movies, that's what you're used to. You have to put it together. It right. doesn't always get spelled out pretty, for you. Pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, taking in uh, the visual medium or media you do have to you have less time to process <laughs> but everything. you're getting it in more ways right. if you're just reading the book right. you're only right you're you, you're only using your eyes you're processing it or a little you, slower you listen to the book I on tape and read and it's, it's fantastic because you like Y'all, get, get as many senses <laughs> yeah it's so immersive by the way jane does that too i uh, she did a post the other day on Facebook that she uh, listened to an audio book while she was following along. I said, we call that the Jessica Rhino method. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. Also, you get a lot of, especially the ones I read for book club, a couple of those have been more uh, like originally British stories, mm-hmm. I guess. And so there's a lot of word changes. And the audiobook, I guess, is based off the original book. British version of the book and then I'm sitting there reading the more Americanized version of the book and I'm catching all of the little things that they've changed they'll change names to more American names they've changed uh, she was wandering around I don't even know what country she was in but she was over in Europe and she was going to walk somewhere and I, I didn't catch the location it wasn't familiar to me and my eyeballs saw the Notre Dame Cathedral instead. So they changed it to a, a popular place that an American would go, oh, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. From the whatever historical thing she was going to go see in the book. Right. Or in the original story. You had to dumb it down for us. Had to dumb Americans. it down. <laughs> make it something we'd understand. Which we appreciate. <laughs> so it's just, it's interesting to do that. But yes, I love listening and reading. Well, thanks, Nicole, for the email. You can always email email us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. Or send us a message on Twitter at BroomsticksB. Give us a follow there. Send us a message on Facebook as well. And follow us there. We earned a couple new followers today. Popped up on my phone. So thank you for that. As we, you know, creep ever closer, I think, to a 1,000 For any of them from Facebook. Ireland? Ooh, probably not. Ireland's... Still mad? I, I, Ireland is just... Uh, I don't even think we're our podcasts are accessible in Ireland anymore. We're banned? I think so. Canceled? I think we got canceled. <laughs> canceled? You got us canceled. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. All this Somebody stu- who's next door to Ireland, can you walk over there and tell them I'm sorry? Because they're think, not listening. What do you think's next door to Ireland? You got to look up, look up a map here. Just <laughs> anybody. Idris. It's like any of our friends over in the, the UK just... Take a punt over to the <laughs> <laughs> to Ireland and make sure we're cool. Yeah, just tell them I'm sorry again. Take some flowers, maybe pick some flowers on your walk over mm-hmm. and um, tell them I'm sorry. Yeah, we appreciate it. I'm real sorry. And we appreciate you guys for listening, downloading, uh, spreading the word. Again, uh, join us in a couple weeks. Uh, we will be at LeakyCon in Chicago. The weekend of August, pull it up calendar, 4th, 5th, and 6th, and then we will be uh, back in Chicago the weekend of Thursday the 10th through Sunday the 13th, with the highlight being Saturday, August 12th, Harry Potter Trivia at 11.30 at uh, Fan Expo Chicago out in uh, Rosemont, Illinois. 
So thank you especially to the inner circle here, Jennifer, Catherine, Luke, Amelia, Jane, Ronnie, Anastasia, Kelly, and Olivia. Thank you once again. Thank Nicole once again. That's our new best friend and Jennifer's uh she's just gonna move in with Jennifer probably. Just be Jennifer. Jennifer just did a big remodel, so yeah. so Nicole hit, hit Jennifer up if you uh want a nice air conditioned uh place to live. I'm sure she'd give you a good deal on it. And until next time be a wizard, be a witch, be a muggle, be a squib, but don't be a jerk. Or a git. See ya. Bye. I got some magic in me. Every time I took that track, it turns into gold. Everybody knows.